Hello, everyone, and welcome to another podcast of About Being Alive. I'm Jason. I'm Jordan. And to get started, we're going to settle into a brief loving-kindness meditation practice. So get comfortable sitting in a chair. And if you're not driving a car or operating any other heavy machinery, then feel welcome to close your eyes, sitting up straight but comfortably. Feet on the floor, hands on the lap. Let go of everything you were doing prior in the day and everything you want to do later in the day. And be here now in this moment. Descend your attention into the ebb and flow of your breath in your body wherever you notice the movements. Without trying to regulate or change the breath, just observe the natural inhales and exhales. Relax deeper with each exhale. Relaxing your shoulders, relaxing your jaw, and relaxing your eyes. Now bring to mind a picture of yourself. Perhaps it's a picture of you now, or you can bring up a picture of yourself younger as a child. And imagine yourself smiling. And holding that picture clear in your mind Repeat the following phrases. May I be happy. May I be healthy. May I be safe and protected. May I live in ease. Refresh the picture of yourself as needed. And again, repeat the phrases. May I be happy. May I be healthy. May I be safe and protected. May I live in ease.
Now gently bring your attention back to the rhythm of the body breathing. And notice if your breath is shallow or deep, quick or slow, without changing or regulating the breath. Just take note of how it feels and watch. Now we're going to slowly transition out of the practice, bringing your attention back to the sounds around you in the room, maybe wiggling your feet, moving your hands a little bit, and when you're ready, gently open your eyes. Thanks, Jason. I, I really appreciate that. I, I missed my practice this morning and um so this was very welcomed on that front and uh, you know I, I like the I, I like bringing up the image and repeating those phrases and how in, in my experience i saw when you said refresh the image i noticed the image changed mm. um or you know visually is one aspect of it but it felt different right like my connection to it um, seems stronger and with a different feeling attached to it. That's good that you felt something. You know, I think most people, it's okay if we don't feel this loving kindness emotion you know, that I haven't in the past during it because it's really just a wish that we're practicing that's kind of etching into our mind slowly with each practice. Mm -hmm. I like the idea of etching where, you know, it doesn't necessarily come all at once, right? You're not, you know, it's not a sticker that you're placing there. You're, <laughs> it's more of your carving, um, etching or, or carving into your mind and your body um, this potentiality for these types of really pleasant experiences to have those consistently. It'd be nice if it was a sticker. Yeah. You know, I remember in Vista Grande Elementary School, we used to get gold stickers for doing good deeds. Yeah. And I felt so worthy of love whenever I got a gold sticker. And a gold sticker, and all of a sudden, you know, you're having, you're experiencing constant states of samadhi, you know, <laughs> like a practice. Um, what, what's great also about this practice is it leads us right into our topic of the day, which is mindfulness. And I know we talk a lot about mindfulness in this podcast uh, because, you know, we're both not only practicing, but consulting and investing in this field. But I think, you know, today what, we're, what we can dive into is, you know, some of our personal experiences and then also, you know, general trends. And um, something that I've been fascinated with is, is where is mindfulness going? How are we going to, in, with, you know, develop the development of technology and neuroscience? Um, what does this mean in terms of this internal practice? Um, but, you know, if this is all right with you, I'd love to start and hear about your experiences, specifically um, with silent retreats. I've never been on one. I've always been interested in it. Um, so, you know, I'd love to hear about how you got into it and what those experiences have been like for you. My main practice started uh, in grad school my first year, and I was using Headspace 10 minutes a day. I really devoted to doing it every morning, finally, after years of trying to do a practice. 
And then after three years, upon the recommendation of a lot of teachers that I've had in the sphere, they said, you have to go on a retreat. You just got to go try it out. You have to do it. And I took their whispering as a sense of urgency. And I went over to do a meditation retreat up in Northern California, silent, no talking. And you don't really look at people that often. Those, those are the general rules. Meditate five hours a day combined with some walking meditation where you're applying mindfulness to just feeling the movement of the body. Very, very slow, uncomfortably slow. If you're not com if you're not uncomfortable doing walking meditation, you're not doing it right. Mm. So we're going super slow, we're meditating a lot. So my first one was over four days, I've done some five days, some, some six days, done a two days. I've done a handful of retreats. I've done retreats where there was more talking and debriefing and partner sharing. And I've done a, a majority of them have been silent, trying to get into the perceptual mind. The conceptual mind is like the mind, the concepts, the thinking thoughts. Perceptual is perceiving and feeling. So that's the point of the no talking. The, to the no talking can be intimidating for some people. That's actually the easy part is not talking to people because you're around people so often during a retreat, the community-based practice, that even the simple gesture of holding the door open for somebody is like this mm. ultimate gift of connection. Yeah. The difficulty is not talking in your own mind and just trying to practice mindfulness mm. day to day, hour by hour. So what was the first, I'm curious on like, you know, the night of the first day at your first retreat, Maybe the first or second. I guess whenever you hit your threshold of of uh, discomfort, where you had that realization, like, what am I doing here? How do I channel all this inner chatter? Maybe you never had that, but I've heard from other people who've experienced this. There's this point where it can become overwhelming, and um, because we're so used to having that outlet to expel our voice or those inner voices through talk or action or interaction with others. What was that moment like for you? During the retreat, because I've made this situation so sacred, like I set aside the time of here's the start and here's the end, it made it easier to stay in it. Mm. There, I think there were moments when I was starting to thinking about like career stuff and work stuff and things I had to do and I had a paper due and I was getting edits on a paper and I just received like terrible feedback on an email that destroyed my goals of reaching my paper at a certain time. It was a very important paper that dictated my progression on my PhD and it was crucial. It was really weighing heavy in my mind. And as the retreat went on, I couldn't stop thinking about it mm. and I couldn't do anything about it. And that was a tough part was I couldn't write down what to do. I couldn't right. think of next steps. Started walking. I started going on a run during the breaks. I couldn't get in my mind. About three days in, I just had this massive inflow of creativity of just different ideas to do. Hmm. And then I just started writing down ideas. Okay, I can contact this person. I can do this path. It just came out of nowhere while I was washing dishes. 
Hmm. So for for people that would are you know are interested or leaning leaning towards this, you know what are what are some signs that you're ready, you know, or that you really should you should go for it, you know. So maybe someone's been thinking about this for a year, or you know maybe they just thought about it, you know, the last three weeks. <laughs> yeah, do like, it, do it. That's just the sign. Do it. Just That's do a sign. It. Just do so it. So as soon as you have the thought, sure. jump in. Sure. Yep. All right. Yep. I think, I think everyone can handle it. Yeah. I don't think everyone needs to do it. I think it's a phenomenal experience. It's a fascinating experience to go deep inwards and to see how much I could settle and rest my body. It's like doing. It's like a massage for your mind. Hmm. Getting very still. Getting very very still. And then you start noticing everything in the lake when things get still. You can start seeing what's in the cup of water when the mud settles down. It's getting so still. And that's why that loving kindness practice is important. Because there's a stillness factor that is awesome, relaxing, and noticing new ideas, a little bit of bliss, start noticing a little bit of things that affected me in the past and my actions and how that affected other people and why I acted that way and you can get acceptance. And there's this other factor of introducing what's called the four immeasurables, which is loving kindness and compassion and equanimity, which is a sense of acceptance and empathetic joy, which is celebrating your wins and others' wins mm. that can be added to that stillness. And it's so powerful. So I think for anybody who has the slightest interest in doing this, find a one or two day event, hmm. go for it. Some people are gonna to wanna to do 10 days right away. That's cool too. Yeah, I, I think, you know, to be able to jump in, have the opportunity to jump in, especially whether you're regardless of what stage you are in your practice. And, but I, I guess primarily those who are just starting out, um, it might be a really way to kickstart and increase and sort of get understand why you're meditating 10 minutes a day right to get that to go beneath the surface to actually experience moments where the lake is still where there are no ripples and perhaps you know you're able to see different patterns and you you have a few insights that seem to emerge from the depths and and those phenomena um i really like uh you know shinzen yun who founded unified mindfulness he discusses that as you engage in practice and you begin to, as he calls it, dip below the surface, right? And uh, and in that realm, there can be um, certain phenomena or experience experiences that um, are very tantalizing and interesting. Whether it be those creative insights or moments of uh, you know feelings of bliss. Um, extrasensory perceptions, right? That can be intriguing where like, okay, let's go chase more of those. Um, but I think one thing that, and you know, he would say uh, that he recommends, you know, you continue to dive down, dive down to source. So it's okay to enjoy those, but rather than become distracted, continue the journey of, of being present in the stillness. Um, but for those who are beginning their practice, I think taking those, like doing, committing to a day or two, or this is what you're doing, you'll, you can see what may be possible. And, and I think that's a good way to 
because commitment, especially, I mean, you talked about it, like finally committing to a practice, right? Yeah. That is such a challenge. It was for me. And, and virtually anyone I know is starting a practice will say the same thing. Like, I've been trying to do this for years, right? Like I've been telling myself for years to do this um, because it's, it's hard to start any new habit and carve out time. But to, to really get to see a glimpse of what could be possible through, a, you know, spending a day or two exclusively on this, you know, may increase that commitment and the likelihood of continuing to practice. Think that now after doing this whole experience, if I went back to myself and talked to myself and I was just trying to do a 10-minute practice, I probably would have said just to go on a retreat mm. and experience that. Yeah. Because... 10 minutes a day is like eating like a bowl of spinach. And then the rest of your day, you're just doing whatever, right? It's yeah. unstructured. Right. Or, or, or you're trying to be intentional. But going on a tr retreat, especially with a group of people all together and a teacher guiding it, gives insight about how this can be applied to day-to-day -day life. Mindfulness being this ability to focus in on what's happening in the present moment, focusing on one thing at a time, one sensation, even if it's listening to somebody, having the clarity of going deep into what is that sensation, now that you can focus on it, and accepting it with the present, letting go and experiencing of it. So equanimity is not exactly letting it go, like avoiding any negative feeling or or letting abuse take hold. Mm -hmm. It's rather accepting and then doing something with that acceptance of that experience is, and it is no experience is an inner enemy. It's just an experience to be experienced and then to go with it. Mm. Yeah, in, and to, you know, that point, I think, so I've had a different, I've never gone on a silent retreat. I've done retreats, a few retreats with groups, um, and, and not necessarily, meditation is involved, but there are also different uh, objectives and different modalities that were infused into those. But I've done a lot of solo retreats. Um, and, um, you know, sometimes they lack, they lack structure, but pretty early on, I reflect um, I remember specifically senior year of college, season just ended, and one of the first things I did was go into the mountains behind our campus, and just I I didn't it was springtime in in Pennsylvania, so it was fairly warm out, um, and uh, I just stayed the night. I had my buddy, he's like, drop me off, like open the door, I'm getting out. He's like, really right here? <laughs> it's like yeah. Walked up, found a nice rock, and um, stayed there for 24 hours. And that was, I don't necessarily recommend that, and I can't endorse that for everyone because it was somewhat reckless. Um, but at the same time, um, I gained so much awareness uh, into myself by being hungry, by being cold, by uh, not, by hearing sounds in the woods at night, in the darkness, um, not to mention without any stimulus and without the, you know, the comfort of having food in my stomach or, you know, ha knowing that I have water or resources nearby, um, I was able to peel back the layer and see what was really going on internally. And then from that, sitting in practice of, of just observing that, right? And 
It was rough. It sucked. Yeah, it man. sucked. It was a lot of suck. But then there were also like brief moments of acceptance. And I think that's where you get to where I'm, you know, embrace the suck. Uh, and, and, or just, but I think it's less than embrace. I think David Goggins says that, right? Embrace the suck. But it's more like just accept what is. And, and those moments, um, I think, especially when you put yourself through a silent retreat or, you know, you find another typical experience like that where you're pushed beyond your comfort zone, understanding it you have the capacity to accept what is in these challenging moments is incredibly empowering and something you can bring back to your daily life and then other problems. You, you're building your capacity to do that, which is transferable to anything. Yeah, it's powerful. And I think accepting what is, another way to say that is just what is yeah. actually happening right now in this moment. That's a way to accept it because yeah. so often we bring in our assumptions, our beliefs, our stories that skew our perception of what's actually happening. And suddenly we miscue something event as the trauma that affected us a long time ago. We bring that into mm -hmm. the experience versus what is actually happening right now. Now, you could go into the forest and live that hermit life for 24 hours. And I think it's a great way to dial into what is happening in my life right now, my body right now, strip it all away. The next step is, can we apply that to our day to day? Right. Where even eating breakfast is a sacred time of what is happening right now. Mm -hmm. You could be eating your avocado toast and experience the same level of depth of mindfulness and attention as stripped away sitting on a rock in Pennsylvania. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's probably a little more pleasant too, right? You eat, rather eat an avocado toast and chewing on bark. Well, one is um, experiencing pain for what it is, yeah. and one is experiencing pleasure right. for what it is. Right. And and Young also has this equation for both of those things. He has the equation that pain, that suffering equals pain times resistance. Mm, mm -hmm. So how often do we resist to pain equals our resistance or yeah. our pain to it? How much do we resist to, to feeling that we prescribe as negative and that creates our suffering? Now, there are, there's definitely a baseline suffering, physical suffering that will happen right. or like I mentioned earlier of abusive relationships that no matter how much goes on, we should not just let occur. Mm -hmm. Resistance could mean acting with compassion by cutting that person out of your right. life. Right. And resistance doesn't in this case mean, you know, uh, there's a difference between resisting doesn't mean I think walking into those situations or allowing those to happen. Like if you can avoid circumstances that will cause suffering for unnecessary suffering, right? Yeah. Um, you know, like being out on the beach all day, not wearing sunscreen. Or, you know, there's, there's certain things that you can avoid by taking certain measures. Or if it is a toxic relationship and you're aware of it, you know, you can, there are different ways to maneuver out of that. Um, but I think what you're saying is if, if, you, if you find yourself in this position that by choosing not to resist, you can reduce the suffering. Yeah. Yeah. Sitting without having a phone comes a lot of pain. Can you res could you lower the resistance to the pain and just feel that emotion? That's mindfulness. It's just feeling what is happening in your body, feeling that inner experience.
as it is for what it is. So often do I get caught up in trying to change my emotions and resisting it and pushing away because I want to be this kind of person right now. I want to have energy. Sure, it's good to drink a little espresso or Nespresso. Mm -hmm. What's up to our sponsor? It's also good to sit and feel that exhaustion when it needs to happen. And it's okay to not have to push ourselves to be ultra productive and avoid the exhaustion that we're feeling. On the flip side, happiness equals pleasure times acceptance. Hmm. Can you go talk a little more about that? Pleasure times acceptance. So the hard part about pleasure is that it's very fleeting. Right. And that's why it's sometimes more dangerous than negative experiences. Because mm. whereas negative experiences we want to resist, and that comes with a whole host of issues. But with pleasure, because it's so temporary and fleeting, we keep chasing and chasing and chasing to elongate. Can we accept the rise and fall, the come mm. and go of pleasure? Yeah. And that increases our happiness. Shinzen Young has that equation. Yeah. I think, you know, that was, I was wondering if you were going with that, where accepting the temporary state of pleasure and being able to fully enjoy that rise and that fall. And then when it falls and when it's done, accept that. <sighs> right? Accept that that moment is ended <laughs> and be okay with that gap between pleasurable moments, right? Between chasing those hedonic states. Dopamine rushes. Yeah, yeah. It was, you know, dopamine rushes, it was interesting. Um, a friend of mine, we were talking, and he was he was reflecting after when we talked about phone use in the morning, right? And what he said is, wow, I've, I realize, like, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't do anything, but this phone, that's how I'm getting my fix. That's how I'm getting these hits of dopamine. And I notice when I put it away that – all of a sudden in that void of, of, of pleasure, right, at a very fundamental level, that there is, there's something else there, right? There's something else that comes up that's more um, anxious or reaching. Um, and and I just like, this is now I'm being able to sit with that and reflect upon it. It's not necessarily comfortable, but I didn't even know it was there. Yeah, that's the essence of riding the wave. Yeah. Is when I deleted all those apps from my phone, Instagram, Twitter, distracting apps that I go to, I noticed that dopamine urge come up of open my phone to distract myself to get that stimulation. It's not there. In that moment, I felt it trickling yeah. up, wanting to do something, wanting to get the dopamine rush. It's so clear. And so in that state, you know, the question becomes, do you replace it with something else, right? Do you pick up something else? Okay, I'm going to do a different activity to distract myself. I'm going to go look up sports news. Right, right. Yeah, <laughs> oh, that's so funny. That's so funny. And so I'll like, I'll do that. Like I'll delete Instagram and I go to my phone. I'm going to ESPN like on Safari, right? I don't even have the app because yep. I don't want, you know, hey, I'm not, I don't want to go down that. I'm not using the app, all right? I'm still, I'm still, you know, being conscious about my usage. But I go in there, I don't even, like, I'm sorry. I don't, I'm not a baseball fan. Um, I don't even really follow the NFL. I follow the NBA, and there's nothing going on in the NBA right now, literally. But I'm just going there. It, 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 so that's what I'm choosing to fill the void. So being aware of when you do create these gaps, you make these conscious choices to potentially leave something behind or step away for something, you know, that's a great opportunity to be like, okay, hey, I wonder what's going to what's gonna fill this gap. Like what am I going to reach to first unconsciously? 
So let's break this apart. Yeah. What are you missing out on by going to ESPN? And what is the consequence of always going and searching for the next dopamine hit? So like when I find myself looking up Dodger baseball news, the thing is, what am I leaving mm. that's that's not engaging enough? Because mm. it's not like we're all sitting around right. bored out of our minds and yeah. not having anything to do. No, there's life is amazing. Yeah. We have endless opportunities to create and express. And sometimes when I'm on my computer writing a paper, it's not engaging enough. I'll go to ESPN. So what happens in our whole entire life is when a moment is not engaging enough for my dopamine, I will switch to a more novel stimulation. Mm-hmm. I think there's a danger to that if done too much. Yeah, It's okay to be bored of somebody <laughs> or someone. There's a danger to like needing that itch that comes up in normal conversation. And what happens when we stay with the itch and we let the boredom come and go, what newfound information can just come up out of boredom we did not even expect. And well, I think also our tolerance for boredom, for what it means to be bored has changed, right? You know, we could be, boredom used to be, you know, you think back like to our parent, the generation of our parents, right? You know, what, what, what did they, when were they bored? What did boredom look like for them? Maybe after sitting in a room, I mean, this, <laughs> this is an ignorant <laughs> statement I'm going to make, but all I imagine is like sitting in a room, staring at a wall for like three hours. After three hours, you're like, all right, I'm bored now. You Classic know? parents' generation yeah. staring at a wall. <laughs> yeah. You guys were losers. Yeah, but they were like looking at all the cracks, right? They were like, wow, this, what shade of white is this? I don't know. And that, you know, again, that's a, but that's just to accentuate this example of, you know, to juxtapose, and it's not that dramatic, but I think there's some relation between now, you know, we sit, find five minutes, like I just fire off an email and there's a gap. What do I do? Okay. Um, I'm bored. Wait, instantaneously, yeah. right? Like in a moment Started between with the question, activities. What do I do? Yeah. Start with that question. Right. I also think it has something to do with being fatigued. And and I think it's, it's, a, it's a recursive, it's a, you know, a recursive relationship where we're, and we've talked about this before, but we're engaging so much information that it can be draining. It can be cognitively draining and, and physically draining. So when we're when we don't have the energy or the motivation to, to to create active leisure, right? Whether okay, so we have a moment, let's write, or let's go look at this leaf and see what this leaf's all about. When we don't have that energy to do that, what do we do? We're like, I don't want to do anything. I want to, I just want something to be done to me. Passively. Right, right. So I just want to look at some information where I can just look, you know, yeah, passive leisure. Entertain me, monkey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah, imagining, yeah. you know, that's what the mindset is of watching TV. And I think TV can be a beautiful way to experience the glories of human relationships through these excellent, complicated TV shows. I think it's fascinating. And it's so entertaining and well done. And millions of dollars go into it. And I, I, I'm in the middle of a TV show and I haven't watched TV shows in a long time, but I spread it out once a day and it's fun. Yeah. There is that danger of what happens by escaping something by just needing to be entertained and stimulated. I don't know if the concept of boredom was around hmm. thousands of years ago. No. Would they just, would people just be thinking or feeling 
the sky, the sun? Will they just be feeling instead of needing to do all the time? I don't think they had a choice but to do. You know what I mean? I, you know, I think someone, I heard it recently where, you know, our parents were one of the first generations that actually had a childhood. Whereas children, they, uh, they, they wasn't in, you know, the bourgeoisie, the upper class, where they didn't have nice like, name drop. <laughs> where, they, where they didn't have to work at a very young age to provide for the family, right? So they actually had leisure time. Leisure time wasn't, leisure time's a luxury that is fairly recent in human history for the, for the majority of the population. So in that sense, you know, I, yeah, I think you're right. Like, I don't think boredom, I don't think boredom really existed because I don't think we, they had the, the luxury of being bored. And mindfulness fits in this because it's a way for us to still that anxiety urge to be stimulated and to sit in it and feel it, to come back to feeling. And when we are in that state, we can reduce that survival instinct to be on high alert, danger, 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 survive, survive, and we can increase our ability to start doing some growth and connection. It's kind of like Right now, when we're addicted to searching for stimulus, it's generation-wide. It doesn't matter if you're millennial or you're a baby boomer. We all experience it. Even people who don't know how to use Facebook are addicted to Facebook. Oh, yeah. And what happens when we're in that mode is it's kind of like our mind is, doing is, is stopping construction on new buildings. And it starts mm. going in danger mode. Let's shut down our digestive system. Let's shut down our healing processes because we right now need to focus on survival. And when we're able to let go and relax mentally into the moment and feel, we can start doing some long-term projects. Mm -hmm. We can start planting some flowers. We can start doing things to heal our inner and outer body. And that's what fascinates me about where technology is headed specifically in terms of measuring our physiology in these biomarkers, like looking at brain waves, looking at neurotransmitters, being able to map how the brain communicates with the body. Um, you know, there's already a, a ton of research that shows how when, you know, can practice med med meditators have been practicing for a while, they spend more time in a parasympathetic state. And that interaction between parasympathetic and sympathetic. But the more that we're able to actually map out what's going on inside the body, um, what I would expect to see is how the benefits of having a practice, you do heal, right? You'll actually be able to see, we'll be able to see that the organs and cells are actually regenerating, right? When you're spending more time in these states, when we're not fully activated. And you could, to the point where, you know, maybe there's an app or there's a device It'll buzz when you're, you know, you're in a fight or flight state. So you can become aware of that internally. I think one thing that mindfulness does is eventually um, you become aware, right? Seasoned meditators can be like, oh, okay, I'm, you know, my adrenals are, are pumping too hard, right? Or my heart rate is increased. And they could just be in a conversation, but they're so aware of their inner world that they will be aware of that. But to be able to, to, to show that I think is so empowering. And that's what, you know, one thing that fascinates me about how there's that, how there's that merger of technology and mindfulness to improve the human condition. After my five day rich silent retreat I did, 
came back, went on my phone, went on Instagram, and I could I could feel the dopamine mm. coming out of my brain and being generated. And then when I closed the app, I could feel it wanting more. It's It was so salient in my yeah. brain. Is there a danger to hijacking that awareness too quickly for people who don't get there by climbing the mountain, but instead get dropped off the top of the mountain by a helicopter? That's a fascinating question. And last year I went to a, um, a conference on transformational technology. And one of the, the questions that we discussed was the idea of implants. We're going out there now, but you know, Neuralink um, is being developed. And this idea of if you implant or, or add some piece of technology to the brain that could create instantaneous enlightenment, right? To, to, to create or mirror the same chemical responses that occur in someone that's been meditating for 20 years when they're in a deep practice, right? Is that cheating? Does that, will that produce the same effects? And the people leading the conference seem to be like, yeah, it's the same thing. Because you, you, you ended at the same result. Say more about what you mean by is it cheating? Is it cheating? Okay. What does that mean? To me, that's the, I think that the path, uh, you know, a meditative practice, there are so many markers along the way, right? It's imagine climbing a mountain. You know, you're climbing a, it's a 30-mile hike. And as you're hiking, you see 0.5 miles. Okay, you know you're here. Maybe there's a little vista or a view at six miles. Um, and there's different terrain at each level. And you have to figure out how to negotiate the terrain. There's steeper paths. There's you're flatter. Sweating. You're sweating. You're carrying a pack. There's mosquitoes biting you. It's it, it's brutal. It's brutal. Uh, be, and then but when you reach the peak, you can reflect back at all those moments and see the value that you know, that provided and connect those dots to see those, all the, how the challenges have, you know, made it possible for you to be where you are now. I recently hiked Baldy. Um, and when I did, um, you know, I wasn't really prepared. This is a theme when I choose to do things. Uh, there were parts where I was like, man, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this. I take like 10 steps at a time. And just sit there panting. But when I got there, it was so satisfying and euphoric because I knew how I knew how I felt, you know, you know, a mile back. And I knew how I wanted to quit and turn around. And I think with the chip, I don't you wouldn't have that those reference points. And those reference points are important for what? Uh, I'm just being a, able to yeah, ask. Yeah, yeah. No, I and, and that's that's the question. I guess for me, and it, it could be just how I I process and how I think. I, you know, I value hard work, right? And um, to me, I think one of the values is in you know um, in the story of Buddha, right? He he reached enlightenment, and and in his state, he was communicating with um, with higher beings from other dimension. There's some really expert. There's some really interesting stuff there. So he's like basically okay. He's like so now what? It's like, uh, so now you go teach. Buddha's like, wait, what? It's like, yeah, now you go teach and you bring others there. And so he goes and starts to teach. And he's like, this is pointless. So he goes back up and he's communicating with these higher beings. It's like, listen, this is so much harder than the path I traveled, is trying to get other people there. Um, but I think that that's where the value comes in, is knowing those check marks, is now you can help 
um, empower others or offer advice or develop connections with people that are pursuing a similar path because you can relate to their struggle. So that everyone is experiencing right. a sense of fulfillment. Yeah. My reason why I think it's dangerous to hijack the brain for immediate enlightenment or immediate mindfulness is very relevant for people who are interested in having a mindfulness practice. So everyone out there who is interested, they might have tried a 10-minute practice when they're feeling kind of tired or down on themselves and they use it as a Tylenol, an ibuprofen, a pain relief, or they want to focus more. So they practice mindfulness at a few moments so they could focus more or they're having low job satisfaction, or low engagement, low creativity. They need more innovation. I need more resilience. Mm. So they start a practice to get those things. The danger is we're using mindfulness as a means to a capitalistic end. Mm. Whereas mindfulness is an end in of itself. You're not using your body or your mind as a means to another end. You're not using it to achieve something else. You're using mindfulness as a quality of attention to live so that I experience my life. That's it. So I experience emotions and feelings and I experience happiness and I experience longing because I'm a human, period. And when we start to use it as a practice to get something, we're falling into a trap in which we're becoming a cog in a machine to create more wealth, to create more resources, to build, build, build. I'm not good enough unless I have this versus the mindfulness practice is I'm good enough because I have this. That's it. Mm. You know, the one, the one thing I'd say about that is I know a lot of people who started practicing mindfulness because of anxiety, right? They're like, yeah. I'm anxious. I heard yeah. this helped. And all of a sudden because they were doing it and they committed to a practice, they're like, oh, wait a minute. I'm, this is more than just anxiety, right? The anxiety began to dissolve and because their practice deepened, they got to that place, right? Yeah. So I think there are, you know, there are ways that, you know, if you have, if there are symptoms of some underlying issues that, and, and that, that leads someone to engage in this practice, um, that that can lead them to that ultimate realization of, of doing it for the sake of doing. To, to, to ultimately to be, right? to be yeah. as you are. That's the hope. And they call it the mindfulness. Mm -hmm. It's like a term used to describe yeah. these mindfulness programs that are maybe being abused for capitalistic ends to push forward an organization's agenda. we got to make our workers happier so they could work longer mm -hmm. hours. Oh, great. We hired this company so that we could get them to work even more. Now, I'm not saying every company does that for sure. Right. Most companies, mindfulness-oriented training programs have a moral background, a value agenda that's larger than de-stressing people. Mm -hmm. It's just something to think about for practices to make sure that we're not treating ourselves as some means. Yeah. Another thing on the, on the implant is I think also, you know, let's say you get – get in a car accident or something and your head gets hit and that chip malfunctions. Like, where are you, where are you at now? Got to hire a little a lawyer. Yeah. 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 If you can still process, right? Like, what do you, I, I just, so I think, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm a proponent of uh, natural means of self-development 
and um, start there. Start, start there, there. Yeah. Climb a small mountain. Right. Start to How start does that cli- feel? start climbing and and you know trip fall get back up. Climb a hill. Yeah. Climb a bump. <laughs> Bumps are tough, man. That's no easy task. It's no easy task, especially when you're still. Bump. Really climb a bump. Let's get into some of our quick fires. Yeah. So to start off, we have a new one. Yep. Fuel for the week. Fuel for the week. Credit that with Jordan. Beautiful statement. What's been your fuel for the week? My fuel for the week has been a coffee enhancer that I've been playing around with. Um, So what I've been doing is I got some herbs from all over. I got turmeric. Turmeric. Gets me every time. Um, And then uh, I use ashwagandha. I use some roots. So this earth health force, health, health force, um, they make really good products and there's this earth component. So a lot of roots and very grounding. And then there's this other herb called stanch, which is very energizing. Legendary herb. Legendary herb used with caution. And then, um, then also I'll throw in some MCT oil. So I'll mix that all in my coffee. Um, and I like how it's, it's, energizing but it's a different kind of energizing than the coffee so i'm feeling you know adrenals are activated but there's also uh it feels like an increased sensitivity and awareness my awareness is enhanced as well it's not just chaotic um so that's been that's been the fuel and um lots of those are hormonal regulators right exactly and that's you know i think that especially when you're pairing that with coffee um it's there is so much evidence that says our states are really dependent on our hormonal balance. So whatever you can take um, and do to, to keep your hormones in balance, I know that um, you know magnesium is really good for that as well. So taking a magnesium supplement. Shout out to Ron Beck, my dad, who's taking magnesium supplements and seeing game-changing evidence in his tennis plays. Wow. That's a, that's a great case study there. <laughs> no more cramps. No more cramps. And yeah, it's amazing how many people are deficient in that, in magnesium. Um, and it's it's a simple fix. Um, so so that's that's been my fuel. And I think, yeah, I can't emphasize enough, get your hormones balanced. What about you? I bought a watermelon from Trader Joe's. And then I cut up the watermelon and put it all in a blender, not the rind. Of course, right. I'm not crazy. <laughs> and then I blended it up and made watermelon puree. Put that in the refrigerator or the fridge, as I like to call it. Nicknamed my appliances. That's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love them so much. I made a nickname for them oh. and drank that on a hot day in the middle of the day. Watermelon puree is amazing. Tastes phenomenal. There's also a lot of good micronutrients yeah. in watermelon and there's water in it yeah. that the fruit has purified. And it's quite amazing when I really think about it. So when water this plant, it's soaked into the soil, the seed got it, and it started to keep the water inside the fruit. That's some of the most purest water possible, huh? Yeah, it is. I'm a huge fan of watermelon juice. Um, and it's, I think there's also, I don't know if it's high in, if it's high in potassium, I'm, I'm completely throwing it, throwing this out there, but there's something about watermelon that's really hydrating. So it's, I think it's also the sugars that it assimilates really well into our body. Um, 
And, it, you know, it's similar to a coconut water, right, where it, it increases the hydration process and gives you those micronutrients that um, your body needs and wants, especially on a hot day. So it's made up of 92% water and it's full of electrolytes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. It's got choline, which is a very important versatile nutrient. It aids our body in sleep, muscle movement, learning, and memory. It has lots of L-sutrolene. That's the thing I was trying to figure mm. out. And apparently that helps with muscle soreness and re improves yep. recovery time. That's okay. why some people will drink watermelon post-workout. Yeah. I think that, okay, that makes sense. That's where I, I think that's where I heard it before too. Um, yeah, I'm thirsty just hearing about watermelon. <laughs> thirsty. Did you bring any? <sighs> next time. Next okay. time. Yeah. Next time I'll bring my coffee. You bring your water. We'll start with the coffee. We'll end with the watermelon. And for those of you who's listening, if you hit us up on Instagram at jasonbeck.life. At Jordan Hamilton Zero. The first person will get a free watermelon and some of uh, your coffee concoction. Coffee mix. Yeah, I'm going to be making it actually this week. The name and is going to de debut later this week? Yeah, name will debut On Instagram Live? Yeah, sure. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, Stay tuned. I'm excited. Yeah. We have a whole bunch of people yeah. waiting to hear the name of this. Yeah, well, I had, I had a name in mind and... Uh, I was going to send some to my buddies. We, the name might be revised slightly. We'll see, though. Uh, but, yeah, okay. It'll come later this week. Appreciate you throwing me into the fire. Like yeah, this. yeah. Yeah, that's what I got to do. Yeah. What's your flow of the week? Flow of the week is um, – it's a good question. It's still early in the week. I'm finding – I'm still finding my flow. Yeah. Still finding my flow. Um, Great book by Chick Set Me High, yeah. <laughs> Finding Flow. It's like his second book on really the subject. Good. But – it is a good one. Um, so you're still trying to find it after this I'm week. still finding it. I'm still finding it. I had a very, uh, very laid back weekend. I'm looking for apartments. Um, so that's been that's been consuming. Um, yeah, I'm still. That's the mood. I feel it. Yeah, I'm, I'm still uh, still searching for it. So I was there last week. That's where I'm at. Yeah. I didn't have a flow. Yeah. It happens. It happens. But you know what? It, it, here, and I think it's a distinction, right? Don't have it like a thematic flow, but I'm finding flow in different activities. And that's something I've been noticing over the past two, three weeks um, where the, you know, entering flow. I guess if one, if I had to say one, it'd be like in conversation. Um, and and I guess what, what's been on my mind. OK, thanks for drawing this out of me is create is how can I help create flow in conversation with others? Um and not actually, I shouldn't even say create because it's not me doing it um, rather than facilitate or open up a space for maybe it to happen or not. So that's something that I'm curious about mm. and it's playing around with. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. How about you? My flow of the week has been making little YouTube videos. Okay. I started a series on a 14-day mindfulness journey YouTube series. Posted on my Instagram, got some people to sign up, and I, every day I send out a little newsletter with just the link to the video pretty much. And they're usually about five to 10 minute. We're working way up to 20 minute me meditations. And I'll add a one or two minute explanation at the beginning of some topic. I video edit on iMovie, which is very near and dear to my heart. Video editing has always been fun. Every snowboarding, skiing trip that I did, with family or with friends, I would always create a little iMovie funny thing. Um, when I was in middle school, I used to video edit a lot. We made stupid videos all the time and post them on the announcements. 
Sometimes we're just like fake TV commercials. So it's very close passion project. And I also recorded my guitar playing as the backdrop to the music. So it's really combining all these modalities mm. that I find creatively fun. I get really into flow because I lose track of time. Sometimes it's tough because it feels like I need to get into it when I don't want to. And that is needed because yeah. Yeah, I got to do it. I got to do it. And I created that social pressure by announcing it to some people on my Instagram page. And now people are waiting for it. Not a ton, but there's a few. It's more than zero. Yeah. And that's great. Yeah. And I'm happy with that. So that's been my flow is creating these little fun videos and fusing them with my own personality as much as that I can, keeping them silly, keeping them high quality without too much perfection. And it's yeah. been a blast. Yeah. That's, do you see, um, are you going to be doing this again? Because, you know, maybe some people are interested in getting on you know, jumping in the program. Can they get in now? Yeah. Message okay. me on Instagram at jasonbeck.life. Okay. Message me if you want to join and I'll send you the newsletter. I'll be doing more stuff like this in the near future. For me right now, this is a huge passion project. So whenever I can do this, it's great for me. And if people find benefit, sweet. Yeah. I've seen some of the videos and I've seen some of the outtakes and, um, uh, Jason's doing a really, really good job with these. And, uh, I mean, you've listened to his guided meditations. I get a lot of, I have see a lot of benefits from them. So I highly recommend checking those out. Um, challenge of the week. Challenge of the week. Uh, challenge of the week is, yeah, finding an apartment, finding a place to live, you know. So um, a lot of things to consider here. Um, and I think what it's, what's underneath that challenge is this question of, what do what how do I want to live my life? Mm. What do I want my lifestyle to look like? What do I want my day to day? And uh, I have these vague ideas of of a lot of them are future based, right? Hollywood Hills, yeah, Ferrar, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe not. More like van, you know, more like a sweet van. Um, by the river, by the river, <laughs> alkaline water, yeah, yeah watermelon water. But now it's having to drill down and get specific, like, you know, how far do I want to drive? All, all these questions um, that are, are that's my challenge. And I welcome that challenge because it's it's good. It's healthy to be able to answer those and and commit to certain things. So um, it's also, you know, being in the looking in Pasadena and Silver Lake area. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's tough out here. And being in a transition phase where you're still going through some vital components of the PhD program. Right, right. I'm still a PhD student, but I'm also taking on more consulting gigs. And I'm, I'm, I'm working at different places. Yeah, it's a, little, it's a lot, right? It's a lot. It's a challenge. A lot. That's a mountain, man. That's it's not a bump. It's yeah. not a hill. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, again. <laughs> it's it, a butte. Again, and kind of bring it all back, like t taking it through, you know, being able to put on my mindfulness glasses um, that looking at through it through that lens, there's such an opportunity for growth and understanding of myself, seeing what, what are like the pain points, what do I feel more anxious in, what am I more certain of? Um, it's a challenge, but it's, it's, it's a, it's a fun one. I'm enjoying, I'm enjoying it as much as I can. Mm. Yeah. How about you? I had a lot of expectations for this summer to be this mm. butterfly flap in the wings, you know, exploring a new town and playing a lot. And I've discovered after reviewing my summer so far, it's really summer of a tornado. Mm. And so my challenge has been to be in the tornado. It sort of feels like it's very hectic. It's a little chaotic. 
And I really want to get grounded. I want to control to make sure I'm going to be okay. That's antithetical Mm -hmm. to the time of the season, which is let go and be in the tornado. So my challenge has been going with the flow of what things are happening, going with my body of what I need. Sometimes it's not exercise and that's okay. And to go follow that feeling. And that's where I'm at right now is to generally follow the feelings. And that will be what's most important because my heart sounds kind of cliche, you know, and it's just my heart is telling me to go with the flow. I'm going to follow that instead of trying to control everything to achieve, achieve, make sure you're winning the game. Make sure you have the most money in Monopoly. Buy the certain properties in Monopoly. Buy the deeds. Make this game. And Monopoly was designed to teach about the dangers of capitalism. So I didn't know. Yeah. And so it's easy to get caught up in the societal game sometimes. And for a lot of people, it's good. I found a little game in my work that's fun, the consulting game. And I like that. The life game is a different story. So for me, the challenge is being okay with the mystery of not knowing what's going to happen next in my life. Mm. Yeah. I can relate to that. I think a lot of people can. <laughs> it's a, yeah, that's a, it's a fun, weird, scary dance that we're all doing together, but it doesn't always feel like that. A lot of times it can feel like we're all alone, struggling in a you know solitary room. But I think it's good to remind, be reminded that um, that we're all we all have these challenges. Just you know? hearing you say that yeah. feels a connection. Yeah, and hopefully, me saying that aloud on a recorded mic will <laughs> remind other people. Yeah. We're all in this and we can't feel each other's emotions all the way. And this might be a somber note at the end. It's just that we're all in it. Yeah. We're all different phases and we respect that also. Yeah. You know, some phrase I like to say is that we're all, we're all on the same team. You know, we, at the end of the day, we're all on the same team. We're all on team human. And the more we can support and try to uplift each other, um, you know, the better we'll all be. Sometimes all we can do is puree some watermelon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> be like, dang, this tastes good. Yeah. And that's fun. And mix a, a hot cup of coffee in the morning. Love it. Yeah. Well, on that note, um, thank you all for joining in. Um, coming to you live from Studio B3. This is Jordan and Jason signing off on About Being Alive.